any technology that's introduced into an unjust society is likely to exacerbate in existing inequalities. Are you wondering how you can learn more about food? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Chakula Podcast, brought to you by the Root to Food Initiative, a show that celebrates authentic Kenyan dishes and serves you hot conversations about food in Kenya from an economic, social, and political lens. Semanasi kwenye social media, at Root to Food on Instagram, at Root to Food on Twitter, and Root to Food on Facebook. And now, here's your host, Felistas Mwalia. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chakula Podcast. Today we are having a very interesting conversation, which most likely has been on top of your head. It's about the use of data in agriculture and the impact of data on our food systems. I'll be joined by Zara Mulo, who does media and research work for ETC Group. She'll give us a brief description on what ETC does. She's also an investigative journalist and a freelance documentary filmmaker. Karibu sana, Zara. Thank you. Thanks for having me. As part of our work at ETC Group, she took part in directing a very interesting film on the impacts of digital takeover on our food and farming systems. A silent earthquake is fracturing our food systems. These new cracks are spreading all the way from digital giants in Silicon Valley and Seattle and shadowy asset management companies on Wall Street through the industrial food chain heading for seeds, shop shelves and the food on your table. Whether we grow, sell or buy food, we're all going to be impacted by these rapidly spreading fault lines. But they are not only interested in food, they are interested in data as well. Big Finance is investing in the technology sector too, and together they have plans about how to use that data to make money. Zara, maybe to start us off, you can tell us the role and importance of data in sustainable food systems. Sure. Well, that's an interesting question because if you think about data, I mean, when we ask the question that way, what's the role of data in sustainable food systems? It's sort of like asking, you know, uh, it's an example of a technology looking for a purpose, you know? Yeah. So maybe it's more important to look at the food system first and question whether data actually adds something to it. So if we define data, data can mean an, a few things. One, one way of defining data is, you know, facts and figures that you use to, to support decision making, that you can analyze to support decision making. So we can ask, well, is it useful for farmers and peasants to have access to, to facts and figures to help them make decisions? Yes. Um, but the key thing here is to actually have people who produce food, peasants and farmers, as sovereign in those decision-making processes. And then perhaps if they have access to tools that they can use and share, then maybe it can be useful. And, you know, there are th there was a panel of migrant food workers that, that said that they found it very useful to have things like Signal, WhatsApp, other means of organizing their work. But those are more communication tools rather than data. Um, and so another way of defining data mm -hmm. is, I guess, the way we would usually define it today, which is a computer-readable form of knowledge that can be processed or stored on a computer. And then the question is, well, is it useful for computer processed knowledge to be used in sustainable food systems? And there the assumption is that there'll be more, that in future we'll have more machines, machines will, will take the place of people, either in their work or, you know, through AI, automation. And then you have a whole different set of looking at it, a whole different way of looking at it. And then you're asking, you know, can sustainable agriculture be delivered by machines rather than people? And that's very different from the concept of food sovereignty, which is really about 
food systems that are for people. So perhaps there are perhaps there are ways to use data to support food sovereignty. So for example, during COVID, a lot of farmers were trying to sell their produce directly to consumers. And perhaps there are ways to have databases or platforms that can do that. But the problem is that that can become a double-edged sword because that can also cut out other parts of food economies and bring in uh, these kind of fintech platforms like e-payments and then big financial players might end up coming into the into the equation so i'll give an example there was an example of twiga foods yeah twiga foods is an agri an agri-tech start company that was founded by a, a u.s academic and who wanted to connect farmers to small vendors and bypass the powerful cartels mm -hmm. so twiga foods built up a whole fleet of trucks to source food from farmers outside nairobi and deliver deliver that directly to a network of vendors in the city and so um and all of these transactions are organized through cell phones run on microsoft's uh, digital platform and uh, they have a cloud service called azure um and then twiga ended up catching the attention of big companies like goldman sachs a french uh, family that owns this big supermarket chain called Auchan. Uh, then they partnered with ibm and so what ended up happening is that twiga now sells food directly to consumers and the small vendors have been cut out basically they were trying to help small vendors to sell directly to consumers now twiga itself is selling food to consumers and so all those small vendors that they were supposed to be serving have been cut out of this uh this model and so yeah so you you've started off with a model that seemed very good in theory to sell have producers sell to consumers but when you start having these very big players coming into the system uh, it ends up actually having a very uh, negative impact in the long term and you have corporations inserting themselves into this system and it doesn't end up being uh, uh, sustainable for food producers so you know when you ask the question of whether data can be you know what's its role in sustainable food systems i think we have to ask the question in a very critical way understand what does data mean what is a sustainable food system and what you know who is that sustainable for is it sustainable for producers for consumers or are you having big data giants coming in and and actually taking advantage of of this of this system I really like how you've been able to summarize the role and the importance of data. And you've mentioned something interesting about we're supposed to ask ourselves critical questions on what does sustainable mean to us. Zara, probably as a researcher on sustainable food systems, probably you could define this to the listeners. What does sustainable mean to you? That's actually a very good question. Um, I think a sustainable food system has to be sustainable in several ways. It has to be sustainable to the people who are producing food. First of all, they have to be at the center of the system because they are the ones who are feeding us. They are the ones who have to live from a food system that's sustainable. But it also has to be sustainable to the environment. And we do know how much, you know, the industrial food system has been absolutely catastrophic for the environment. It has, you know, really contributed to climate change. And yet that is the model that is being pushed by big agribusiness companies. So a sustainable food system, I think, as we say at uh, Etc. Group, uh, where I work, we, we often think of a sustainable food system as connected to the peasant food web. You know, it's a food web. It's it's a complex, biologically diverse, ecologically sustainable system in which you're not using all these sort of engineered seeds, pesticides. You are relying on indigenous knowledge and farmers' knowledge to have this kind of food system. And it's important to remember that actually, according to the, the Food and Agriculture Organization, 70% of the world's food supply comes from peasant and family food system 70 percent and you wouldn't you wouldn't think that if you read online in the media about all these you know syngenta and bay 
stare at all these companies that are supposedly providing tools to farmers. But actually, most of our food comes from peasant and family food systems. And those are far more sustainable food systems than the industrial model of agriculture that's being uh, sort of pushed on the world, and including in the global south. And so agroecology is something that um, a lot of uh, people who are fighting for food sovereignty show as this can be a sustainable food system for the for the planet and for, for families and for peasants and for farmers and for consumers. You have good food that's not contaminated with, you know, pesticides and, um, and all that uh, stuff. There has been a lot of conversation around on how, yes, uh, how organization and organizations and how different governments react to sustainable practices, emphasizing that they will adapt climate smart agriculture. But is that really a solution? I'm not sure I can speak so much to climate smart agriculture, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's, there's a lot to say about that. Yeah. Climate smart agriculture, again, there are a lot of these things that sound very very, they, there's a lot of language that's used mm-hmm. to sell certain, uh, to basically sell a certain way of doing things. And climate smart agriculture is one of them. Just like nature-based solutions, uh, you know, these kind of this kind of language that sounds very good for for biodiversity and for people. But actually, what is you know, I mean, you have to look at what climate smart agriculture is. Who is pushing it? Who is behind it? Uh, it's actually not that climate smart after all. Probably you can also mention how data on food systems is collected. I guess to understand how data is being collected with regard to food systems, it's to understand the larger trend that's happening in the world of food and agriculture. And so what we've been seeing at Etc. Group is that, you know, all the sort of big agribusiness companies that grew very rich and powerful from the food system, from the industrial food system, are now partnering up with big data giants. So you have these big data giants, these big companies partnering up with big agribusiness companies. So you have in the agriculture world or the agribusiness world, you have just a few corporations that control, you know, the seed market, the agrochemical market. And, and those companies, as you will see in the in the animation, are uh, Bayer, uh, which brought up Monsanto. You have Cortiva AgriScience, Syngenta, BASF. Those are the four big companies. And there are, of course, a few others, large corporations that have really benefited from the industrial food system that are teaming up with data giants. And they've realized that data is a very valuable resource. And the more of it is that is hoarded and aggregated, the more it increases in value. And so what's happening with data, how it's being collected, is being collected in ways that are very misleading mm-hmm. to farmers and that is that are not really transparent. So if you look at a lot of the narratives around digital farming, you see that it's being presented as if it's going to be very transformative and very useful for farmers. That yeah. if they have digital tools, farmers can have greater efficiency on their farms, they'll have greater return on their investments. And and so they think they're receiving a service from these companies, you know, that their, their, their agriculture is going to become better due to all these services they're being given. But actually what's happening is that's how data is then being collected from them. As they subscribe to platforms and use these so-called services being offered by these companies, their data is actually being taken for free and passed onwards and used for other things. So for example, I'll give an example of how it works. Like you have this, there's this digital platform called Climate Field View, and this was developed by the Climate Corporation and the Climate Corporation was bought by Monsanto in 2013 for a billion dollars. And a lot of people were wondering, well, why is Monsanto buying up this platform that's all about climate and weather information? But the actual, the key is that the data was very was, was going to be very useful. And so now Climate Field View, this platform, claims to be on 60 million hectares of land in 23 countries. And they offer services like providing information about the state of your soil if you're a farmer. They have this uh, feature called 
field capture. So you take pictures in your field of uh, diseases that might be on your crops. Um, and then that information goes into the cloud and it's searched against thousands of photos from Bayer. And then they suggest to you which products and herbicides from Bayer you can use. And this is just one example of a platform. Yeah. There's many others, you know, owned by the other data giants. And so what they're doing is they're extracting data on your seeds, your soil, your mm -hmm. fertilizers, the weather. And all of this is being then passed on to their uh, artificial intelligence systems. And then in response, they can suggest which farm, what, you know, what farmers should produce, what products they should use, when they should farm. So these are sort of the ways in which data is being collected from farmers. There's also data being collected, uh, you know, from consumers. So when you go shopping and you're using a lot of these apps, your shopping preferences, the things you're buying are also being collected from you. Um, and that's, that information is, is, is very valuable because then you're basically, you know, uh, giving information that they can use to expand the market in their services um, and so that's sort of an example of how yeah, how data is collected. Yeah, it seems that data really plays a critical role in our food systems. And probably you can also mention to us the gaps in regulating data on food systems and its and its utilization. Yeah, I mean the gaps are are I mean it's difficult because what's happening is that this this model is becoming very very legitimate and widespread. So regulation hasn't really been uh, mm -hmm. sufficient to in response to what's happening. And you're seeing that actually these big companies, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, they've become so powerful that even governments and organizations like the UN are listening to their advice on public health, on education, on digital cooperation. Um, and it's becoming so much part of, you know, so much part of how things work that that uh, we're starting to assume that digital technologies are going to solve all the problems in the world. So in terms of regulation, I don't think it's quite happening as, as fast as the, the progress or the development in this sort of data world and systems that have been captured by the use of data is happening so fast that the regulation is, doesn't seem to be keeping up. I mean, if you look, we have coming up in September, there's the UN Food Systems Summit yeah. mm -hmm. coming up this month. And that's a whole other thing that's quite controversial. And, yeah. <laughs> and but, but, you know, the Africa position at the UN Food Systems Summit is that Africa needs to adopt more digitalization in the food sector. And that position uh, just shows, you know, how much, you know, this partnership between big, big food uh, companies and digital companies has, has progressed, that it's to that point where, you know, African governments are also saying that we need to adopt digitalization. They clearly have a big role in policies, in, in influencing policies, from what you've mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Zaya, you can also mention to us how the data is used. You've mentioned a few. Go ahead and mention more of the positives and the negatives. If there are any potential positives on how data is used. So how data is used, we don't know 100%, but there are different things that have been happening. So one example is, I'll tell you about another digital platform, which is As Your Farm Beats. Um, so last year, Microsoft and the Alliance for a Green Revolution in Africa, which is funded mainly by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it's a, an institution that has really been kind of pushing this market-based approach to agriculture. So Microsoft and Agra, they started to expand this digital platform called As Your Farm Beats with an app called Kuzabot. And this is a kind of chatbot app that farmers can use to get advice uh, through WhatsApp and SMS, including, you know, which inputs to use, which companies to buy from. And 
Farmbeats has in integrated a US-based startup called Climate Edge into its platform. And Climate Edge is actually taking data about small farmers that's being supplied by agricultural consultants, by NGOs, by companies and researchers. And then they're selling that information to insurance companies, to pesticide dealers, to large food companies like Unilever. So this information that's being taken for free is being sold to others that can then uh, use it. So for example, pesticide dealers can find that they have a market for their products and they are receiving data about what farmers are using and uh, so that's one way in which data is being used it's being sold actually and what this is also is allowing is for agricultural companies to sell their products so another another actually the leading provider of chatbot services to to farmers in Kenya is Arifu and they are partnered with the seeds and pesticides uh, multinational Syngenta So what Arifu is doing is creating a demand for mm -hmm. seeds that come from Syngenta that can then be sold to farmers. So it's actually, you know, the data is also providing a market for these companies to then sell their product. And Arifu is part of a bigger platform called Digifarm that's operated by Safaricom. Yeah. Digifarm provides millions of small farmers in Kenya with chatbot services. It sells them inputs and crop insurance. It gives them loans, sells their produce. And all of this is through M-Pesa. And of course, Safaricom charges a fee. Um, so, you know, these data platforms argue that they're providing financial services to rural people. But actually, this is a, this is a market. Farmers have to conform to the system. They have to buy the inputs yeah. uh, that are promoted and sold on credit. They have to follow the advice of the chatbot in order to qualify for crop insurance, which they also pay for. They sell their crops to the company at a non-negotiable price. They receive payments on a digital money app, and there's a fee for that. So you can imagine what's actually not being uh, said is that This is, uh, as one organization, Grain, put it, they said, you know, this is contract farming on a mass scale. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned before, the other way data is being used is corporations are able to sort of nudge consumers to behave in certain ways, to buy certain products. Um, so you'll have like consumer targeted discount coupons. You'll mm -hmm. have products on sale. And those products have come from data that's been collected from consumers in order to then sell particular products like GMOs. Yeah. Um, they analyze the consumer's shopping history to see, you know, what kind of products they can buy oh, yeah. uh, and so on. So th that's ways in which data is being used. Um, I can't actually think of a positive way in which data is being used. Well, because it's being controlled by these big Uh, digital companies because it's in the because and, and big agribusiness companies so you know it's really benefiting them it's not there to benefit small yeah. farmers or, or, or our people who buy food um, if it, it a whole model would have uh, you know for it to be useful for data collection to be useful you'd have to have a whole different model with with producers at the center I feel like I should change my question from the important role of building sustainable food systems because from the conversation we've had right now it seems that doesn't seem to be building sustainable food systems. No, exactly. I mean, what's made food systems vulnerable is not lack of access to data, actually. It's climate change, it's seed appropriation, it's water and land grabbing. Lack of data is not preventing food systems from being sustainable. So how can we enhance data while at the same time curbing the growing trend to use data in ways that disadvantage powerless actors for the advantage of the powerful? Well, I think, you know, One way is to is for farmers to take back control of their data, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, 
I think we need to really be talking about and exposing these deals and so-called free services that are extended by tech companies to to extract information and data. Um, that's one way is to take back control over data. And, you know, all this information on environmental data, genetic data, water data, soil data should remain in the public sphere and not you know not be available for big yeah. uh, tech companies to make to make use of it and so there are some there are some models that are quite interesting so for example there that you know that offer free software in which data is not proprietary there's um there's a project called the farm hack initiative and that's a, a collaborative platform for sharing farm tools and knowledge among farmers across the world so i think you know we need to ask what are the obstacles to sovereign data use to having farmers and uh, peasants uh, able to access exercise their own sovereignty and have control over their data so we don't know is it possible to produce data and use it without depending on agri-tech giants um, that's a question that you know we'd have to try different models there yeah. are other uh, there have been other initiatives for example um, there's also the right to repair movement mm -hmm. and that is where you know farmers were have started advocating for their right to repair their own equipment that is um, that has also been a problem because you have big companies like John Deere which provides farm machinery and tractors to farmers and they also extract data and they don't allow you to repair your own equipment when you enter into a contract with them they still end up controlling the, the, the tractor that you you've bought from them so the the right to repair movement is another example of redefining uh, the role of data and asserting farmers rights to to their own equipment there's also of course agroecology which is yeah. a sustainable way forward in which you have ecologically just forms of food production that again have uh, peasant farmers at the center mm -hmm. um, and then also you know i think uh, when we expose these kind of things, it's important to to insist on consent. I mean, you need to have the free, prior, and informed consent of farmers and communities before you collect data from them. Other things that have been really useful are, you know, mutual aid networks. So I mentioned during COVID how producers were connecting directly with consumers um, and not having to rely on on middlemen to sort of extract uh, profit in the middle. So that, those, there are those kind of things that have worked very well. For example, in India and in Karnataka, there were farmers using Twitter to post videos of their produce and buyers would connect with them that way. So there are, there are things that can be done and that are being done by people. And then at, you know, at Accenture Group, we really try to insist and we have, we actually have projects on assessing new technologies and evaluating them and, and seeing, you know, what, you know, who is behind these new digital technologies? Can it be useful for the common good? And so we try to have participatory technology assessment processes so that people can evaluate new technologies, examine who's behind them, how are they being used, are they actually being used for people and communities? And this kind of process has to involve civil society, indigenous people, farmers and, and peasants and those producing food. So, so there are different ways in which, you know, things that we can do to analyze and maybe see if data can be used in a, in a useful way. Yeah. As we wind down, Zara, do you have any punchy statements for the listeners and for me as well? Uh, <laughs> I can say, I guess when we think about technology, it's important to, to have a kind of, I mean, one of the things that we say at Etcetera Group, mm -hmm. uh, that the founder of Etcetera Group used to say a lot, uh, he said that, you know, uh, any technology that's introduced into an unjust society 
is likely to exacerbate in existing inequalities. So we need to think about that when it comes to any kind of technology, any kind of digital technology introduced into the food system or anything else. If you are introducing it into a society that's already very much unjust, then those injustices are likely to get worse. And as I said before, especially if you think about who is behind uh, uh, those technologies. And the other thing that I think is important is technology is political. It's not neutral. Mm-hmm. Technology is not good or bad or neutral. It's political. And, and it's important to understand technologies very well before evaluating whether you know they're good or bad, or whether they can be used. Thank you so much for the insights, Zara. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. We've now come to the end of the show. Thank you so much to our listeners for listening in. Asante Nisana. See you next time.